Welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we will look back on the pop cultural ephemera that remains in our cultural zeitgeist today and try to understand why we remain enchanted all these years later. This week, we will be revisiting... Normally for this podcast, I will go back and revisit the subject in question to bone up, refresh my memory of it. Uh, I did not have to do it for this week's topic because, man, did I put in the hours when I was 12. Uh, We're talking about Street Fighter 2, a video game that is near and dear to my video gaming heart. Um, We haven't done a video game thing uh, on this podcast before, but... Uh, I do love them a whole bunch, and I'm sure we'll be talking about video games uh, here and there as we go along. Uh, But I thought this is a great place to start, and it was suggested by this week's guest. He is uh, returning to the podcast, our first return guest. He is a performer at Westside Comedy Theater. Uh, He also teaches improv. Just go to uh, richbakercoaching.com, and uh, you'll find him there. Uh, So please welcome to the podcast from USA, Rich Baker. (laughs) <laughs> yeah nice nice voice over there you're right <laughs> oh fantastic yeah. well thanks for having me back Doug. uh it's a pleasure the last time and I, i'm excited about this uh topic i think it's a great topic uh why, why don't you talk a little bit about uh why you picked it it was i mean i have so many memories but i mean this i'd say i logged more hours playing this video game than any other video game maybe than Maybe Mario Kart, I did more, maybe. But, like, this one was, like, one of my most played, loved it. You know, I, I, uh, I, I it went from an arcade obsession to a Super Nintendo obsession to, like, an excuse to have your friends over, let's have a Street Fighter 2 tournament, you know, to the movie, which was a flop. But then kind of, I look back on it, I'm like, actually, it's kind of fun for what it is. And, you know, all the iterations of Street Fighter that have come out and all that kind of stuff. You know, I really enjoyed the hell out of this game when it came out and it's not what i usually go for in a game i think Mm. for me as a kid i was usually way more into something that had a narrative yeah uh, which this game doesn't really have i I would want to go on a quest in a video game this is a tournament fighter and we'll spend some time talking about just for people who don't know what the nuts and bolts of street fighter 2 is Mm. but yeah, I, I just, everybody had this game, right? You mentioned you fell in love with it on arcades, and then it came out on Super Nintendo. It came out on everything. The thing was yeah. a monster hit. This was like, think of, you know, Titanic in terms of movies. It was that level of a blockbuster for video games. Yeah, I'd say, I would compare it to The Simpsons in that they licensed Street Fighter Two for everything, right? There were Street Fighter Two toothbrushes and Street Fighter Two cereal and Street Fighter Two board games. Like, you know, I mean, it was so popular, you could just slap the logo on anything and it would sell. Yeah, I was looking at uh, Wikipedia, at least according to Wikipedia, the game itself, not in counting that other merch you just mentioned, but iterations of this game sold on in arcades and on every console imaginable totaled $10 billion for just one game. Wow. It was the, yeah, it's one of the highest grossing games of all time. You know, very few things approach it. Maybe like, maybe there was recent Grand Theft Auto, I think. Yeah. Did that kind of business recently, but this was in 1992. Yeah. 
It was definitely Capcom's biggest game, e- even comparing it to the later iterations, like that original Street Fighter II Super Nintendo outsold everything else Capcom had ever done or would do. And would and continue to hold that record for Capcom for yeah. a long time. And, this, and Capcom is no slouch as a video game developer. They had many other franchises before and after this, in particular um, the Mega Man series. Huge fan of the Man, Resident right. Me too. The Resident Evil series is yep. also Capcom's. Yep. Um, uh, so they've tales. had more yeah. than hell yeah. Um, <laughs> woo! That game is huge. They had right. They had all these Disney platformers that they did. So uh, Capcom and Capcom still around, still going yeah. strong. But this title is huge. I guess we should probably start. Maybe we want to explain a little about what Street Fighter Two is uh, for those who haven't played it. Yeah, um, well, just the game itself uh, was the first real game of any major popularity where you could play against your friend in a versus mode and be able to select from a large swath of characters to do so. Like, they had games where you could play against each other, but this was like, you could pick one of eight people, they could pick one of eight people, and you go, and then you could even pick where you were. And so, you know, there were fighters from Japan and China and, and the, U- the U.S. and Brazil, and, you know, all these different characters that had their own backstories, which was kind of new uh, for that style of game at that point. And then, you know, there were four bosses. If you beat all eight, all eight then you went to Balrog, Vega, Sagat, and then M. Bison, who was the big bad guy. And you beat him, you beat the game. Yeah, it's a very simple game at its core, right? It's, it's, it's deceptively simple, but all it is is essentially each round of the game is a boxing match. You pick your fighter. Each fighter has a unique set. Well, with one exception, we'll talk about. <laughs> but each fighter has uh, a unique set of moves and attributes, right? So some of them are are fast and they don't do much, but they don't do much damage. Other guys hit hard, but they're slow. Uh, and they have maybe some of them throw projectile. Maybe that's, some of them can do these unusual magical things. Some can jump higher than others, that kind of thing. Right. So you you found one that you felt like playing for that moment that fit your play style. You would fight in a 2D plane against this other person in a best of three in these timed rounds. And you'd have a little bar at the top of the screen. And each hit you took would take you know yellow off of that bar. <laughs> yeah. And when it was all gone, you lost that round. Yeah. Or if time ran out, whoever had more of it remaining won the round. That's yeah. all it is, right? Uh, yeah. On the surface, that's all you do. But this game got remade over and over. And not just different editions of the game, but this birthed a genre, right? So you get Mortal Kombat. You yeah. get Killer Instinct. You get all of these games down the line. And it just seems Primal like... Primal Rage, Tekken, yeah, all that came from this. And for the last 30 years, they've basically been trying to recapture the lightning in a bottle. <laughs> that is Street Fighter Two. But they've had a real long... Just like, not to skip ahead, but, you know... One thing that this birthed was a comp- competitive gaming in a way that still exists. You know, the fighter game genre is still one of the most popular things that fills stadiums watching gamers beat the hell out of each other. You know, Copcam versus Marvel or whatever the game is, Super Smash Brothers, etc. Yeah, th- definitely this did a lot to birth the world of competitive gaming. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you, I can remember seeing kids... You know, standing around one of these machines in an arcade yeah. while you watch these two kids go at it and you, you're just watching it with in awe of like, how do they pull off this stuff? Like they're so good. And it comes down to like a real mastery of like understanding the timing of each character's move set and the animations. So, you know, the people that were really good could like, you know, you'd kick your opponent and he'd go flying and you would throw a fireball 
time that so that as this guy came down hit the arc of his parabola, he'd hit the fireball on the way down and get damaged again. Yeah. Right. People who could master that shit and never take a hit and, and just wipe the floor with everyone. I was, a, I was, I think, nine when the arcade game came out uh, near me. And, you know, a lot of the kids were playing were like teenagers, preteens, that kind of stuff. And I didn't know what I was doing. So I'd wait in line. You know, it was a long line, which was not a thing at arcades. Like you didn't wait in line typically for a game like that. But, you know, winner stayed, loser paid. And so I'd get up there and I'd play some 16 year old. I just mash the hell out of the buttons and get my ass kicked. And then I would just do it over and over and over until I got a little bit good. And I remember the longest streak I ever had at the arcade was four wins in a row. I was the most proud person on the planet <laughs> well there are people that would devote an insane amount of quarters or time to this and especially once it came out on home consoles oh yeah where you didn't have to keep dropping in more quarters you could spend forever mastering these uh eight and then 12 characters yeah did you have i know we'll probably talk about each character individually but uh did you have one that was your favorite yeah uh i you know i i I, I loved all the characters. I played through the game with all the characters. But the one that I would say, like, if, if you wanted to play me and I'm like, okay, I bring my A game, the character that feels the most right to me is E Honda. E Honda, the sumo wrestler. The sumo wrestler, yeah, who's, you know, shirtless yeah. and his home's in a bathhouse. And yeah, each of, the, each of the fighters, you know, has their own unique stage that's like their, their home turf that you would play in. And it was fun. They, they were fairly detailed for the time in terms of their sprite work. And uh, they'd have these fun little things going on in the background. The backgrounds were not interactable, though. That would come in later editions of games like this, where like uh, you could grab something in the environment and throw it. Yeah. Like a wrestler grabbing a chair. Which I think, if my memory serves correct, I don't know if you, but I think that Mortal Kombat did that first, and Street Fighter goes, "Oh, we'll take that." Like you know, you know, th these games borrowed from each other, you know, and still do. Yeah. And Mortal Kombat is the you know the Pepsi to. Street Fighter 2's Coca-Cola. 100%. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe a better example would be like Street Fighter 2 is the Beat, the Beatles and the other Mortal Kombat's the Rolling Stones mm -hmm. and they kind of like challenge each other yeah. you know, as these franchises go on. But Mortal Kombat would iterate way more than Street Fighter. I think we're up to like Street Fighter 6 is about to come out. Yeah. And Mortal Kombat's up to like 11 main games yeah. and they just kept churning that shit out. But w one thing that Street Fighter 2, I think, has over Mortal Kombat was, yes, Mortal Kombat was violent, and that was kind of cool, but the, the moves in Mortal Kombat were very hard to execute, mm -hmm. whereas Street Fighter was much more accessible. It was like, okay, it's very easy to perform all of these special moves. It's just mastering them and knowing when to use them. That's the challenge. In Mortal Kombat, it was literally like, wait, what buttons do I press to make this happen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the gameplay, definitely. And then, you know, Mortal Kombat, like, I loved it, but it was, you know, Street Fighter was bright and cartoony and, and funny. And Mortal Kombat was dark and scary and heavy. And, like, they're both cool, but, like, I was much more in the mood to play, you know, bright and shiny than dark and heavy more often than not. This definitely had more of a vibe of, like, I can just pick this up and play through a tournament in, what, 15 minutes? Yeah. You just take the time to just run through this a gauntlet of dudes in an afternoon and just have a good time. Like it, it's, it kind of has that appeal that something like Tetris has, where it's like, yeah, yeah I'll just pick this up and play it for a little while. I don't have to really invest much. And it's light and breezy. Like you said, yeah. Uh, have you ever played street fighter one? You know what? I seen it. Like I've YouTubed it just because I was, I think like 10 years ago, I was curious, like, Hey, if that street fighter two, was there for street fighter one? And, but I never encountered the, 
I never remember seeing the arcade. I don't remember anything about it. Like, what I saw on YouTube felt completely new to me when I watched it. Same. I decided to watch a little of it to prep for this podcast because I was like, I've never actually even seen one frame of it. I don't know what it looks like. Yeah. And it's a similar concept in terms of, like, you go, you have these rounds of martial arts of one guy against the other. But instead of being able to pick from a roster of eight or 12 people, you're just one character. You're Ryu or, or Ken yeah. uh, who are in this game. Uh, they carried over from that original one. But basically, though, it's like Mario and Luigi. They're the exact same character with different visuals. It's you know, Are you wearing a red gi or are you wearing a white gi? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you fight this round, roster full of dudes that seemed completely just non-memorable in any way. Yeah. And yeah, not as interesting combat. It's a little, it looked a little slower and clunkier in terms of how it moved. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that carried over from it was Sagat. That character was uh, the main boss of the original. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and um, the interesting thing that I didn't know is apparently the arcade game, the first version of it, the instead of having six buttons, they had three buttons that were pressure sensitive. So like you could hit light, medium, or hard based on how you pushed it, but like they would wear out so quick that they replaced it with the six button setup that they would copy over for Street Fighter Two later. Yeah, and in the game, you, so you have six buttons that correspond to light, medium, and hard kicks and punches. Yep. And then certain combinations would execute a special move, like say the, the classic one, the Hadouken yeah. uh, fireball that Ryu throws. If you press down and do a quarter turn to the left or right followed by the i think medium punch or whatever it was he would throw a fireball and all the moves are like that you you execute a fairly simple little flourish of buttons and it unleashes something more interesting yeah than your average kick or punch which was you know i, I feel like the street fighter one was such a makes so much sense looking back just because the bridge the gap between mike tyson's punch out and street fighter two because you know mike tyson's punch out like every move was basically one button you know and then and you know it was up and down versus side to side. And then so Street Fighter, did, you know, took those and Street Fighter 2 took like the best of all that and then made it something damn near perfect for a video game. Yeah. Punch Out is worth mentioning, which I think a lot of people played Mike Tyson's Punch Out on, on NES where, yeah, like you said, it's a different perspective in terms of the view, but also the challenge of Punch Out is all about mastering timing that, you know, all of your enemies are basically these timing puzzles and you're there to figure out when's my window of opportunity to dodge and then punch or block to defeat these guys. And this is a little more free form. It's not yeah. so much about, yeah, they don't have like an individual set of like memorizable patterns that they do. But the big innovation is, you know, as you said, is going from having this one fighter to being able to pick from this roster of initially eight and yeah. then 12 guys. It gave this feeling of like almost like the video game version of playing with your action figures. It's like, oh, okay. Because if you had a bunch of, like, Star Wars action figures, you'd be like, okay, you be Darth Vader, and I'll, I'll be Han Solo, or whatever. Yeah. And then you put them down, okay, I, I'm going to be uh, uh, Chewie, and you be Princess Leia, or whatever. And that's what this lets you do. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, and, and that was the fun part, was, like, it once you owned the game, you could spend the time to master all the fighters if you wanted to. Which, I mean, I, I you know, most people I know at least dabbled in all the other characters as opposed to just finding one. But on the arcade, because you only had one shot at it, it cost you a quarter every time, you usually just kind of picked one character to try and challenge whoever the winner was. And I loved, uh, you know, getting... Because the that was a big difference, you know, when the Super Nintendo game came out, which I think was the first console version of the Street Fighter 2, is that it actually told you this, the moves in the instruction booklet. So it was like the secret was out. 
Yeah. What's really smart about Street Fighter 2, and I was stunned to learn this when I was researching, is the, the key that makes this all tick is that the game feels perfectly balanced. That there is no, like, good fighter to pick. They're, they all have their relative strengths and weaknesses, but any one of them pitted against any of the others can be an even match. Yeah. Right? There's not, like, an obvious, like, oh, well, if you're playing this character, you want to go up against that character because you can exploit this weakness. Because if you make certain games are fun when you can break them, but this would not work. This would feel lopsided and, and boring yeah. if you could just uh, do that. The developers did not actually try to do that. They actually just stumbled into a game that was perfectly balanced between all the fighters, which is stunning. That's extremely hard to do. Oh, interesting. I, you know, I, there's some. I'm sorry, there's so much conflicting information out there. But the, one of the YouTube docs that I watched and prep for this episode said that. Uh, in the original testing phase that Zangief was like that one player was like dominating with Zangief. And so they, they dumbed down his strength a little bit to make him more balanced with the others. Well, I'm, I'm sure they put some thought into it, but at least what I read made it sound like they didn't, they didn't really go out of their way the way that like, mm -hmm. you think of more modern versions of games like this, where it's like they down to like how exactly how many frames of animation a move takes to execute. They'll, they'll tweak that stuff. You know, at that level of granularity to try and create what is on display here that, mm. you know, yes, you can pick any one character and that can be your guy. And that's perfectly reasonable and a good way to play the game. Uh, and that's true of every character on offer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to shout out, like other things that this game did that um, are absolutely worth mentioning the background, the backdrops, like it was so cool to see the different versions of, you know, India and, and Brazil and all this stuff. Then you had the music, which was fantastic. And then, you know, they there you had voice acting, which had not been a big deal in video games uh, that I remember, at least before this. No, I mean, putting in voice samples was hard to do because at the time that that took up a lot of space. Yeah. on these very limited cartridges. So yeah, you did have some voice samples in here. I'm sure I'll be using them in the episode. Nice. The voice the, and, the, and the music was good. Capcom is usually good about music. And in fact, a lot of my favorite video game music is from the 8-bit and 16-bit era. And some of that is nostalgia, but other parts of it are because the technology was limited. And so there was this effort to say, okay, we can't, we can't make this music sound like an orchestra. We can't make it sound like a rock band. And we have very limited resources, so it better be real fucking catchy. <laughs> and they nailed it. Like the soundtrack, the soundtrack to Mega Man Two, for example, on oh, yeah. NES, is an all-time great, by far one of the best. The stuff on the SNES for like the Final Fantasy games, this one, they worked really hard to say if we're gonna have to listen to something that's really only like a loop of ninety seconds, sometimes mm -hmm. less. It's got to be the best 90 seconds you've ever heard because you're going to hear it over and over again. Yeah. And they succeeded at that mission time and again. Yeah. I think every because I, if I recall correctly, the music isn't tied to the characters, tied to the the stage, the the place where you fight. And uh, so like that was another consideration of like, oh, I want to fight here because I like, you know, the sound when I fight. Yeah. And so when you we should mention. So the game is different where if you play it in a single player, just yourself at home the, the quote-unquote story mode, yeah. you will pick your character and then you will fight the first other seven main characters one by one in their home turf, followed by 
Uh, actually, I think you might. You also have to fight your a version of yourself. Uh, not in the original, I don't think. You may have to. It's, uh, they'll fight a version of you wearing different color clothes, uh, the exact same character, uh, and then you fight the four bosses yeah. uh, in each of their stages. But if you're playing a two player, just as a tournament, you got the the game is just you pick whoever you want. I pick whoever I want. We select the stage, you know, the place where we want to fight, and then we just go. We just have a fight. Yeah. Over and over and over for uh, as long as the you know Doritos don't run out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're right. The the locations have so much personality. I mean, I, I'm, as we're recording this, you have the the India backdrop for Dalsim behind you with these elephants and stuff, and it's really detailed sprite work. Yeah, and you know, true art. You know, these were um, bit artists that uh, I found out that one I can't remember the the person's name, but the guy who because they had different artists work on different characters, and the guy who was in charge of Chun Li was obsessed with getting her legs perfectly because, you know, you see her legs so much in different kicks and stuff that she does. And so, like, he apparently spent so much time on her legs that he almost missed the deadline. But he finally got it right. And I think all these backgrounds, you know, it's just like it's beautiful art made, you know, with the limitations, like you said, of the pixelation and and the the amount of memory that they had access to. Well, I I think limitation is important for art. And it's one of the reasons I think with a lot of video games now, like with the rendering power you have on like a PS5, you can basically create any visual you want. So the issue then just comes down to creativity, right? You know, it's, I can do anything I want. So what am I going to do? Yeah. In the 16 bit era, you couldn't do anything you wanted. And it's a little, I find it more interesting. Like modern, there's a lot of modern indie games that go back to a pixel art aesthetic and I always love it because it's like, yeah, you did this with one hand tied behind your back. Yeah. Right. It's really cool to see like what you come up with when you're limited to this color palette of, you know, limited colors and these larger blocky pixels to create. How do you create a, the room full of elephants or the uh, banks of the Amazon? Yeah. Right. It, they're neat looking. It's really cool to see like, look, I did this with only this limited set of tools. It's great. Yeah, no, I uh, the the art in this game was so much so much bigger, and it felt to me had more an impact on me than art had in really any other game before this. Like, I liked a lot of the character design and stuff, but specifically, I think the backgrounds, like you know, Ryu stage with the sunset, and all the background characters, like you know, moving and the elephants, the trunks going up, and all that stuff. I just like that. That made this game feel more alive to me. And, you know, because it was largely a static game. You're in one room per fight, but the room itself was was brimming with life. I think that's a good point because, you know, you're you're spending a lot of time with this game and it's addictive, right? That gameplay loop is really addictive. So you're going to spend a lot of time seeing essentially the same 12 play, screens yeah. over and over again. And they do so much to make those screens memorable and distinctive in a way that like Street Fighter 1, like watching, go, it's so bland and so generic. Yeah. And so forgettable, you know, you, this really pops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have, uh, well, I should say maybe now's a good time to kind of run through the character roster and talk a little bit about each one. Well, let's start with, cause you didn't answer. Cause I mean, I didn't ask, we got on something else, but uh, who's your character? I would gravitate towards Blanca. Mm. So we can start with Blanca. He's a, he's an unusual place to start, but Blanca is He's from Brazil, and he's basically the Incredible Hulk slash Tarzan. Yes. He's this, like, feral 
you know, monster man mutated by experiments or something. And he's got this set of, like, electric eel powers. So you could, uh, in addition to all of his, you know, grabs and, like, you know, him being able to kind of roll into a ball and zoom across the screen at you, he could make him electrify his skin so that if you tried to punch him or kick him, you make physical contact, you would get electrocuted and then go flying off. Yeah. And I always found that, like, I tended to be a little more defensive. So, like, as a defense, like, you go, like, eh, kind of turtle up into this electrical ball. Yeah. And if you did it at the right moment, the other person would be too far along in whatever they were doing to lose that momentum and stop. So yeah. that, that was my guy. Nice. And then he also had the, his other move was, I don't remember what it was called, but he would, like, fly across the screen while, like, doing a flip, you know, and just ram right into you. Yeah, I mean, and they they had a few other special moves as well, but those are, I think, the two most distinctive ones. And as I recall from his ending in the lore, like, it is very much Tarzan, right? He, he finds his mom. Finds his real mom, yeah. 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 Weird version of that in the movie, as I recall, right? He gets, like, mutated during the plot of the movie. Yeah, yeah, We I got a whole, I got so much to talk about the movie, too. <laughs> okay, we'll save that for the end. I've only seen it, like, once, so. So, let's talk about... Yeah, let's talk about the twins, Ken and Ryu, you know, who were the two heroes from the first game, the holdover. Eventually, in the iterations later, they would divulge and be different characters to some extent, but in this game, they were basically mirror images of each other, save for the actual image. Yeah, I don't think there's a single difference between the two of them in their moveset. Everything about, it's literally just, do you want to pick the character that has blonde hair or the one that has black hair? Yeah. Yes. Uh, which, again, this is the one misstep in an otherwise, I think, pretty impeccable game. You know, it does, it feels like, well, you gave me, you know, this lo- r- roster of characters, but two of them are duplicates. Yeah. Of each other. Yeah. It, it is a bit of a bummer, but there, but it is a good character, which, regardless of which one you pick in terms of its, uh, the, the fighting. And unlike, I, I think those were the only two characters in the game, if I recall correctly, from the Super Nintendo instruction booklet, where they had three special moves. And maybe the characters had more special moves that were in the instruction booklet, but, like, every character had two, but they had three. They had the, the Hidouken, Hidouken, you know, the fireball, the uh, dragon punch, Hidouken. and they had the spinning helicopter kick. Hidouken. Those are the ones I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they have any others. Uh, I think the other characters have have more moves than that. They also have various kinds of holds. So if you get up close to your opponent, yeah, you can grab them and throw them and or do like something something where you're hitting them constantly. Blanca would bite them, you know, and uh, Dalsim would do the yoga noogie. I remember is what it was called. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what Ken and Ryu do. They're they're karate guys, and again, a holdover from they are the the main characters from Street Fighter 1, so it makes sense for them to be there. And their storyline is that they have the same master, and that's why they have the same moves. Right. And I think, is Ryu, at the end of his quest, if he beats M. Bison, he's like, I must go on to the next challenge. Like, he's like punching a waterfall. Yeah. And like, you know, he's, you know, whatever's next on the horizon. Yeah. And Ken, like, his wife comes up and hugs him or something. Yeah, yeah, I think Ken gets married. gets married. married. So they they are a little bland uh, compared to some of the other characters, but yes, and important parts of the roster sure uh you got dalsim of course and i didn't know this but originally they were going to make him like six or eight arms like uh ganesh and so they nixed that um but he was based on a a character from a 1974 movie called shang long 
or no, I'm sorry, that's that's a different thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was 1974 film, and it was rated X, and it was it had a guy, <laughs> uh, one of the fighters, had long beard, and he could when he punched you, his arm would stretch like twice its own length, and like that's apparently what inspired Dolphin. Yeah, this one was probably my second most used character uh, because, yeah, he looks they, they sort of make him look like Gandhi. Yeah. With like stretch Armstrong arms. And yes, Gandhi meets a witch doctor kind of look. Yeah. yeah. Again, with me being kind of the defensive fighting style I would have, this was one where, yeah, he has this incredible reach. So it would be hard for your opponent to get close because if, if you fire off these super long rubbery arm punches. They don't do much damage, but you can keep a guy at bay pretty well with them. Yeah. But he also has yoga fire. Yoga fire. He can shoot fireballs out of his mouth. But if you do it just a little bit different, you get yoga flame, which can be good, but if you meant to fire and you flame, they can come over the top and jump kick you. Right. Some of these definitely, the, the, the button inputs for some of these are very close to one another yeah. because I'm sure they want that to happen. There is some level of like, mistakes being fun in games and i think a lot of games miss that where it's like sometimes when things if things go wrong and you still have fun then the game succeeds right yeah like think about games where you have to be stealthy in a game where you have to sneak around if getting caught is a bummer and it kind of ends the fun that's no good but if getting caught is just as much fun as sneaking around then you're okay and street fighter 2 kind of has that it's that like you know oops is okay It's it's still hilarious but that's awesome. Uh, let's talk about E Honda a bit because I know that's your guy. Yep, uh, E Honda was. The, there's something about just the way he jump kicks and things that I don't know. It just like he he can't jump as high as Chun Li or Blanca, but he can jump higher than most of the other characters. And that mid range jump for some reason always worked for me. And he's as I said, he's wearing he's a sumo wrestler, so he's you know big guy, um, and he's shirtless the whole time. <laughs> and uh, you know he's like, oh boy when he like hits you, and then he's got the mini hands where he can stand still. In the original game, he could just stand still and do it, but in later games, you could move forward and do it. And it was essentially you just hit the button as fast as you could, and his hands would go into this like kind of thing. Yeah, that, that is, I think, one of my favorite bits of animation work in the game is his hand, and chun has a similar thing with her kick, but his, his hand just flying back and forth in front of him. It's almost like a, the, the Barton Lisa thing. You know, I'm going to start swinging my fists <laughs> and if you happen to get close. And you know, it, it's that thing where like a kid is just like, I'm going to th- throw my arm back and forth. And if you just get in my close enough, it's going to slap you. Yeah. That's what this is. It's very funny, and it's but it's it is a useful move for sure because again holds people at bay when when yeah. used correctly. But I think he could be like fast as well, right? Is there some way he can kind of rocket from one side of the screen to the it's other? It's the same thing that Blanca has. Gingo, yeah. If you hold back for two seconds and forward and punch, then he'll like fly across the screen. And again, these were um, elements they were taking from um, uh, different movies. Like, I can't remember, the, again, the name of it, but uh, my notes are way too scattered. But uh, the, there was a, a kung fu movie where, in the 70s that's, I think, when it, they said Tarantino's favorite, where people are, like, flying and you know, doing supernatural stuff. And they were like, oh, let's make Blanca and, and Ihanda have these, like, flying things. And, of course, then Chun-Li's helicopter kick and all, all these other, you know, anti-gravity moves. Yeah, we should mention there, there's a lot of uh, moves in here. This is not meant to be realistic. Yeah, it's, it's very you know, cartoonish. This is martial It's super cartoonish. Yeah, martial arts, right? People throwing fireballs they're doing these like kicks through the air that as you said defy gravity yeah. uh and physics but it's okay because it's all in the in the name of fun it, it's you know 
I, I don't think anyone's made it, tried to make a very realistic. And, you know, and Mortal Kombat did that, and that's cool, but, like, I loved the aspect of Street Fighter. It felt like I was playing, like, I was in charge of a cartoon. It has big Dragon Ball Z energy, for sure. Absolutely. I'm sure, I don't know which came first, but this is definitely one is an influence on the other. There's no question. Oh, sure. Because, you know, I mean, Street, uh, Dragon Ball Z is nothing but this as, an, as a cartoon, right? It's yeah. just animated fights between people throwing energy balls. Um, so we've done... Uh, who's next? Chun Li. Let's talk about Chun Li. Oh, let's talk about Chun Li. You know, the one woman in the game, and she wasn't actually the first woman in a fighting game, but she was by far the most popular. And she uh, apparently brought a lot of women to Street Fighter 2 who may not have wanted to go there without this character existing. Yeah, and it's a, women are not well represented in games generally. I mean, it's getting better. Mortal Kombat, since then, they've added a few um, Street Fighter characters. There's like Cammy, I think, is sure. one of them. A few other women. Mortal Kombat's had more, I think. But, yeah, I mean, for even though she's the only female in the game, uh, she's one of the coolest characters, I think. Just yeah. in terms of her moves, she's you know very spry. Um, as you mentioned, they spend a lot of time on them gams to make them yeah. uh, kick right. And they are deadly gams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She can also do that thing like E-Honda does, where like, the leg is just flying back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and it will mess you up if you get close. And she is the highest jumping character you can play in the original game. Vega can outjump her when you know Street Fighter Turbo when you can play him, but as far as the original eight, she was the highest off the ground. Yeah, again, mastering that was such a part of the game, right? Of like, oh, I can. This person can jump higher than me. How am I going to counter that? Or I am the person that can jump higher. How am I going to exploit it? Yeah, uh, it really fun in terms of figuring out that balance and and how to each person can counter the other. And her deal is she's like, she's a Chinese Interpol agent. Yep. As I recall. Yeah, and okay. M, she's got a personal vendetta against M. Bison, who uh, is responsible for her father's murder. Uh, I think, I remember at the end, they kind of do the bit where she's like, ah, I'm finally taking out, pull, taking off my karate clothes, and now I'm in just in jeans and a t-shirt, and life is good. Nice. I seem to recall that's her ending. Zangief, you mentioned him. Yeah, so originally his first name was Vodka. <laughs> Uh, that's actually true. You mentioned Punch-Out before. So there's a character in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, I think it's called Soda Popinski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I believe that character's original name was also something vodka-based. And they decided, no, oh, this nice. is for kids. We can't have a vodka character. Uh, so they made it Soda Popinski. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, Zangief, uh, yeah, Soviet uh, giant bear of a man. Yeah. And that was his backstory is that he wrestled bears in Russia. And that's how he got to be such a good wrestler. He's, yeah, he's, I think, the biggest and burliest character. And the strong, like, his punch is, takes more hit damage than the other character's punch in the original eight. Yeah, he hits harder, but I believe he's the slowest. He's slower, and he can't, he can't jump for anything. Like, he can barely get off the ground. He's the, the, the lowest jumper of the, of the eight. I think he also has no ranged attacks, if I recall correctly. Nope. He has to get in close with you, yeah, to wrestle you. But he had this like crazy pile drivers and stuff. He would grab you and smash you to the ground. Well, his moves are extremely similar to Hagar, I think was his name from Final Fight. Well, Final Fight was developed. I think it was going to be a Street Fighter game and then they made it its own thing. Yeah. Um, because it was a different style of game. It was a beat em up, not a, a tournament. Fight. Yeah. But if you, you know, and they're different games, but if you played as Hagar and you played as Zangief in Street Fighter, you're like, man, these are extremely similar characters. Yeah. I'm sure they they have some they share some code. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, and of course, we, we would be remiss if we did not mention Zangief's really, really funny appearance in Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Good call. I forgot about uh, that. He, Wreck-It Ralph is, of course, a story about a Disney movie about a character who's sort of a Donkey Kong-esque arcade character. And it's like Toy Story, but with video game characters. You know, what do they do uh, You know, when, when, when uh, it's quitting time? What do they all go do on their, their downtime? Um, and he... Wreck-It Ralph goes to this support group for video game villains, and Zangief is uh, one of the people there who's trying to teach him how to, you know, just because you are a, a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very funny. I'm Zangief. I'm bad guy. Hi, Zangief. Hi, Zangief. I relate to you, Ralph. When I hit bottom, I was crushing men's skull like sparrow egg between my thighs. <laughs> and I think, why do you have to be so bad, Zangief? Why can't you be more like good guy? Then I have moment of clarity. If Zangief is good guy, we'll crush man's skull like sparrow's egg between thighs. And I say, Zangief, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. And Zangief in the movie was uh, a big source of comedic relief. Uh, as well, like he's kind of always pushed in that comedy role. Yeah, well, they had a uh, callback for him, I think, as well. When like Ralph goes to the bar and he's trying to find something in the lost and found, and he finds a pair of Zangief's underwear. Yeah, <laughs> he calls that out. Yeah, very, very funny appearance. And I think he says his like some catchphrases from the game as well. So that is Zangief, and I think his oh, he has the best ending. Right? Do you remember his ending in the game? No, I don't. Okay, so he, uh, after he wins the big tournament, they show him uh, dancing with Mikhail Gorbachev. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. And he's like yeah. part of the continuity of the lore of the game, like Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> nice. There was this uh, weird thing where he's not the only uh, world leader to appear in a game. If you recall, there was a code in NBA Jam that allowed you to play as Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that rings yeah. well. Nice. Now, if you could play as Gorbachev in the tournament, that would be cool. That'd be a heck of a thing. Yeah. Especially if a fireball came out of the spot on his head or something. <laughs> Glasnost! <laughs> and then uh, I think we've got everyone except Guile for the original eight. Yes, I forgot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sonic Boom. Yeah. Uh, Army Man. Yeah, one of the most... Uh, I, I, I think of all the, the sounds in the game, I think Sonic Boom is what people like i think it's if you had one to pick one iconic soundbite for this game like sonic boom just instantly there's nothing else you think of other than street fighter 2 sonic boom yeah and of course he becomes the protagonist of the movie sure uh when that comes around jean-claude van damme playing an american character somehow <laughs> and he had that cool stage it was like the it was it was like a, a runway with a giant jet fighter on it. Yeah, and a bunch of like you know uh, other you know Air Force or Army guys or whatever and USO women that kind of stuff. Uh, his two moves were of course Sonic Boom, hold back for two seconds, forward for two seconds, and punch, or the Flash Kick, which is hold down for two seconds and then up and kick, and you do a whoosh, like a roundhouse kind of thing. I, I mean, again, to go back to the beginning, you can tell how much time we put into this because you still remember all of these button inputs. Oh, I'll never thirty years them. later. Well, and I and I still have an, uh, I still have a, a, a Super Nintendo Mini that I, I still play the game. I played it just in preparation for this, <laughs> so it all it's all coming back to you. I'm sure, right? I honestly, dude. I mean, I don't I don't have the best memory in the world, but like, when, 
I made it a, my mission to get as good at Street Fighter 2 as I could because I wanted to go to that arcade and I wanted to be the, the winner who didn't have to pay for rounds. And so, like, I, I still remember seeing the instruction booklet, like, in my mind. Uh, and then uh, we have our four bosses. We have Balrog, mm -hmm. uh, who is uh, basically just this uh, boxer from Las Vegas. Which, yep. uh, he has a cool stage as well. It's a kind of this cool rendering of this neon blue uh, Vegas. His stage is great. And he's similar to Zangief. He doesn't have any range attacks, but what's interesting about him, he's the only character in the game that doesn't kick. Right, it's all punches. All punches, but man, those punches hurt. <laughs> Again, they've, they've found this way to, you know, to take away all of these other tools that some of the other characters have, and he's just as viable as an opponent uh, than uh, as any of the others are. And when he, if he beat you two times, uh, he would his ending pose because all ending poses, he would like muscle up and his shirt would rip off, and like th whoever digitized him was the thirstiest gay man in the world. Like he has the like this body, <laughs> like this digital body that is like perfect. They definitely I mean, they're not digitizing the way like Mortal Kombat characters were literally filmed actors and they they just made the image low res. Yeah. But here it's all like, you know, hand drawn animated yeah. stuff. And yeah, he they all have such personality. The next one I was gonna talk about was Vega, who again also has a lot of like um there's a lot of posing. He has a mask that can be knocked off, so you have him with and without it. And he does this weird thing where he cl he climbs all over the uh, this like chain link fence in the background, yeah, and can really mess you up from like way up high. He can like jump off the screen and come down with his claws and just cut you up. He is the he is by far the highest jumper, and he can uh, he can him and Chun Li are the only two that can jump off the back. Like, once you've scrolled to the right or to the left, they can really jump off the wall and then increase their jump off of that. He he was one, I think, when I was playing solo, was probably the one that gave me the most trouble. So hard. As an opponent. Because, yeah, he's he's just, he's very, very fast. So, and he's very, he hits really hard. So it's, yeah. it's very hard for you to get a hit in. It's hard to block him. It's hard to know where he's going to be next. Yeah, I think probably by far the toughest enemy in the game in terms of its AI. I guess a human opponent, maybe I'd have a chance. But yeah, that was always my where I'd use up the most continues. 100%. No, he was, he was, uh, and I think originally in the, in the, the Famicom version of the game, the first one that um, it, Balrog was actually called M. Bison, Vega was called Balrog, and M. Bison was called Vega. Uh, and they switched Yeah, they switched around. that up for. Yeah, I think in some countries it was just different, and I'm not sure why. Well, the reason it was but. different in the United States was because the the black boxer from Vegas was named M. Bison, and they they were afraid that Mike Tyson would like come after them for likeness, so they switched it up. Huh. Okay, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah, then we have Sagat, yep. who left over from the first game, just big, tall, Thai guy with a an eye patch. Yeah. He can do the tiger, which is you know basically a fireball. But he, unlike Ryan Ken, his could do up top, or he could crouch down and do the tiger, so it could come at you both ways. Yeah, and that, that I remember that being very tricky because usually you're used to like, well, if he does it, I know the timing, so I can jump over it or duck under it as need be. But here, you know, you kind of have this fifty-fifty shot of whichever one was coming at you, and it would be much harder to adjust your your defense to it accordingly. Yeah. And uh, he had uh, the tiger uppercut, which was essentially the same move as the dragon punch from Ken Ryu. Right, this like 
huge uppercut that would send you flying. He also, I think, had one of the coolest stages. He's in this, like, standing in front of this enormous statue. Uh, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. And the statue's not standing on its feet. It's lying on its side. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's evocative, for sure. Yeah. Like, there is a little sense of, like, not, I mean, this is, it's a small world, but there is a sense of, like, I'm going to different places. I'm seeing different uh, types of environments that match the culture of, of the location. Uh, and then last, we have our, our villain, M. Bison of the Shadaloo organization. Yeah. Who's, uh, who looks like a, he's like a generalissimo in how he appears. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not the tallest. He's not the biggest. But, man, he is fast and he is deadly. I think he has the most moves. He has all these different kinds of, like, very fast uh, I, can't, I don't think he can teleport, but he can all he can move across the screen very yeah, fast. Yeah, he can jump in ways that no one else can. He can just kind of go from one side to the other. And his his biggest thing, I don't remember the name of it, is where he basically turns himself into a hurling fireball. So he kind of takes the power of E-Honda going across the screen and uh, Yoga Fire and combines them. And if you it touches you, you set on fire and get knocked out. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they had to make him, you know, if he's the end boss, they got to make it as hard as they can and it's tricky i don't i think he's hard but he doesn't feel unfair none of it feels like cheap yeah uh, which can you know that that's when you want to throw your controller when it's like well come on this is you know yeah i, uh, I can accept a challenge that's fair but i think you know similar to you i think i had i had to continue more on vega but before i eventually figured out how to beat him than i did m bison yeah i do think vega is harder than m bison for whatever reason yeah but yeah, there we go. There's our, our run of the 12 characters. And one last thing on M. Bison, I believe he was the only stage in that original game that, that you interacted with the stage a little bit. Remember, he had two statues on either side, and if you got hit into one, it cracked. Right, right. But I don't think that did extra damage. It was just aesthetic, right? Yeah, it didn't do any extra damage, but it was it was the only stage where something in the background actually it was affected by one of the characters. I mean, this would go on, uh, you know, iterating between different fighting games where the backgrounds become integral to the fighting. Like, oh, I can exploit the fact that I'm standing by this object. If, if you know, if this guy comes close, I can grab this thing and throw yeah. it at him or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So did you stick with the franchise when, like, Street Fighter 3 finally came along or any of these other ones? I definitely got Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which was the version where you could play against yourself. So, like, versus we could both be Guile or whatever. And and you could also play as the four bosses. And then there was Street Fighter 2 Alpha, which I think I played, but I wasn't super excited about. Like, I get that they were, you know, there was more stuff you could do with more characters. And I just, I don't know, the thrill was kind of gone for me at that point. I was more into games like Primal Rage, Killer Instinct at that point. Yeah, I I think my love for fighting games kind of begins and ends at Street Fighter 2. I've enjoyed mm -hmm. the Smash Brothers games where you play as different Nintendo franchise characters. Um, because that changes up the formula a lot for, you know, what what the a fighting game can be it's yeah. different enough so many other fighting games are really just like like we said before it's just okay here's your roster of characters and they're all different and some version of this mm -hmm. but it's like you just can't uh what's it uh often imitated never duplicated yeah to me the closest version was capcom uh when they did marvel versus capcom and I thought that was really cool because you could Marvel characters and you Street Fighter. Then you also had Mega Man and, and the other Cap, some other Capcom things. And that was, I, I wasn't as obsessed with the game as much as I was like 
impressed that I could play all these characters in a fighting format. And and the, the innovation for Marvel versus Capcom was just having a roster of like 70 characters. Yeah, it's huge. As opposed to, you know, 12. The other one that, and, and interesting again, with that sort of arms race is you had uh, a Mortal Kombat game that was Mortal Kombat versus DC. So you had Mortal Kombat characters versus like uh, Superman and Batman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you put them against each other. And then they got real weird with Mortal Kombat where they said, we're going to have all these Mortal Kombat characters. And then for DLC or unlockable characters, we're just going to put in some random ass people in here. Hmm. So it's like, you know, you're, you're playing all these Mortal Kombat characters versus Jason Voorhees <laughs> from Friday the 13th. He's just in there for no apparent reason. The Xenomorph or the Predator. Like they just, they just started adding all of this IP into their games because it was just fun because people were like, yeah, that's who I want to play as. I don't give a shit about this. You know, yeah, RoboCop's in that game, right? And the Terminator. Right. They put in RoboCop, the Terminator. And it's like, just make a game that's that. Make a game. And then they started coming out with things like multiverses recently, where it's literally like, hey, what if the most random things in the world fought each other? Uh, <laughs> sure. And then it ends up feeling less special somehow because it's just like, oh, you can see the Like, yeah, okay, I guess I'm playing Bugs Bunny versus uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, which is yeah. interesting, but... It's all just a bunch of button presses. You can immediately see what's under the hood, and it's kind of yeah. like, okay, well, it doesn't feel like I'm being Bugs Bunny. Yeah, we did. You did. You wanted to set aside some time to talk about the movie, which I if think you we don't should. mind, that movie is, I think, worth talking about. Please go. Uh, so it was first time director uh, who was like earned his right to direct. It was uh, Stephen D'Souza. He had written Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, and he'd written these amazing scripts, but he never directed. And somehow he got to get his directorial debut with Street Fighter Two, which they put so much money into. Jean-Claude Van Damme plays an American, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but was probably on coke the entire movie. <laughs> uh, probably. Raul Julia, who's not known for action, played the only acting uh, in the movie that was actually worthwhile as M. Bison. Uh, his fight. His last started. role, too. It was his last role before he died, you know, way too young. He wasn't yeah. that old. And then no, and it wasn't that it wasn't yet that long after the Adams family either. He was pretty young and, and doing well. Yeah, no, the, the movie came out in 94. You know, I mean, it was it was uh, Adam's Family, I think, was 92. Yeah, it was like Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values, and then this. And then, unfortunately, yeah, he was gone. My father was the village magistrate. A simple man with a simple code, justice. He gathered the few people that he could to stand against you. You and your bullies were driven back by farmers with pitchforks. <laughs> My father saved his village at the cost of his own life. You had him shot as you ran away. A hero at a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Then uh, Ming Nguyen played Chun-Li, uh, now famous for uh, uh, you know the, the live adaptation of Milan. And then Kylie Minogue. Well, no, she's the original Mulan. What's that? 
She's the original voice of Mulan. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Is she in the, was she in the live action remake? They put her in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. She was in there too. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, She's been in a million things. She's so good. And then, uh, the weirdest casting, uh, Kylie Minogue playing (laughs) Cammy. Right. I forgot about that. The Kylie Minogue is in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem with turning this into a, a movie, well, we this came up when we talked about the Ninja Turtles too, which is like trying to adapt the video game into a movie, which is like it shouldn't be this hard, right? Yeah, like people like people adapt things all the time. Why is it such a, a fail every time? And I really went to the theater expecting, and I don't know why. Like I mean, I was you know thirteen, but like I was I was really hoping that Street Fighter the movie was the teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles you know, equivalent of Street Fighter, you know, just like an extremely good movie, you know, well done. And it was campy and weird and sometimes a little serious, but a lot of times comedic, but not, not funny, funny comedic. It was, it was, it was a real mess. I think it falls into the so bad it's good category. I, yeah. I'd put it in there. Agreed. hundred um, percent. Yeah. De- definitely not a good film by no. any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. uh, it, there is enjoyment to be had at its expense. I know they've done they've done other Street Fighter they've done animated things and like probably manga and stuff. I don't know if any of that stuff is is good. So I was not an anime kid at all, and I'm really still not huge into anime. Every once in a while, I see something, but the Street Fighter animated series and movie that came out like '95 or whatever it was '96. I remember binge watching that in a time before binge watching was even a term with a friend of mine, and I was enthralled. It is. I would love to rewatch it now. I didn't have the time to to rewatch it for this, but it was like dark and gritty and all the characters did what they actually did in the video games, as opposed to the movie where they rarely did what they did in the video games. And like that animated series, I remember it as being very good. I I have to take your word for it. I I don't remember seeing any of the other, uh, I didn't watch any of these other um, uh, versions of it or, or, uh, transmedia property stuff yeah from, from street fighter any uh any closing thoughts on uh on street fighter before we call it i think uh, i think we've done that justice for sure 100 percent uh one, one thing that's interesting is the the ability to do combos in the game was not intentional it was actually the creators thought it was a flaw but they were so pushed for the deadline that they were, they just left it in but they if they had more time they would have made it to where you couldn't do combos because you know combos wasn't even really a term at that point, they accidentally invented what would be the staple of fighting genres for the forever. Right. That ability to chain these moves together uh, for greater impact. Yeah. And again, exploit the timing. Uh, you're right. Yeah, that was an accident that they left it in the game for sure. What about your emotional connection to it? Any, anything you feel? You know, here we are 30 years later still talking about this just monster of a game. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think it's similar to what we talk about with Teenage Mutant Turtles, the movie, is that all every, the perfect storm of everything happened. You had these video game creators who were very hungry to make something great. Uh, then everything that had come before it had really set the stage for them. And, you know, they had the money at the time because of success of other games. And uh, it, it just all kind of hit at the right. Because when they released it in Japan, it, it, it wasn't the hit at first that it would become it was a hit in america and then became a hit in japan even though they got it before we did and it just i don't know if it hit the culture at the right time or what it was but it became one of the most 
popular and remembered video games of all time. And I still, I mean, I just, when oh, I opened my Christmas present, or I don't remember when I got it, but I remember opening a present, and it was Street Fighter Two, and I just lost it. I don't think I left my room for four days. I just stayed <laughs> in and played. I was so obsessed. And, you know, anytime I had a friend over, if we didn't, if we didn't have anything else to do, let's play some Street Fighter. Yeah, for me, I think the emotional connection to it is all social. I don't remember when I first got my hands on it, I, but I, what my vague memory is one of my best friends had it. And I remember going over to his house to play it, and then I had to get it. But I, I loved playing video games with my friends, but a lot of games were either single player only, which meant somebody watches and one person plays, or the two-player experience was maybe, again, it was a handoff like with Mario where I'm like, Okay, I play, then you play. Yeah, and we, you know, very rarely were games we play against each other or together against the computer. But not like this. This was like, you know, you and me are going to play together as this, you know, sporting event essentially, where we play off against each other with, uh, you know, a very large number of potential combinations between the two characters, which meant for a lot of possible playtime. Yeah, uh, and I just, yeah, to me, this game just is afternoons uh with my best friends you know whittle away at, at their houses or mine like um it. just endless bouts of this game uh and just the the fun of watching these you know, virtual action figures punch each other hell yeah uh, just yeah that's that's the just the warm memory i have of it for sure absolutely yeah what whether it was at the arcade or at my home or at someone else's home, you know, playing with them, like friendships were forged and some were ended because of this. like, <laughs> I remember one guy got so mad cause he could never, he was, he could beat everyone, but he couldn't beat me when I was a Honda, no matter who he played. And he'd try every character and he, I don't know why I just, I had his number and uh, he got so mad he just left. I, there's probably thousands of stories like that oh, yeah. for, for this game. Uh, well, I, I just want to thank you for for uh, for coming on and suggesting we cover this topic because, yeah, it's a you know as like fun video game throwback stuff goes. Uh, I think so many people have played this game and can relate to these experiences and you know know these characters and their move sets by heart all these years later from just pure muscle memory. Um, so and that's just something you know good media can do whether it's music or movies or video games you know they really can be a time machine to to take you back uh to uh, a, a great part of your childhood hell yeah yeah any other uh thoughts on on street fighter before we wrap it up i i think the only thing left that i could say is sonic boom there you go uh all right well with that uh rich you want to talk about uh where people can find you oh yeah thank you very much uh find me at uh rich baker coaching on instagram or facebook if you're interested in improv classes or you want to see some of my improv shows or different comedy things that i have uh, on youtube you can find everything through all that uh and if you are interested in the class first drop-in is for free so you can just check it out it is the most fun you'll have on zoom there you go uh, and if you like this podcast, of course, uh, do all of the uh, support things you do for podcasts, like like, rate, subscribe, tell people, uh, all of that stuff. 
Uh, and if you have feedback uh, on this or any of our other recent episodes, please send uh, that tweet it to at Nostalgia Pod. It's also on Instagram. And normally this is where I would talk about what's coming up next, but uh, I'm kind of recording a couple of episodes, uh, hopefully here and there. I'm not sure about the scheduling, so I'm not sure if this is coming out before something else or after something else, but uh, we'll, we'll, I'll announce whatever it is. So uh, we'll see what's coming next. I'm sure it's something fun from the 80s or 90s. Why wouldn't it be? Hell yeah. uh, so, so there you go. Uh, and uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcanum. Riddle me this. Do you or do you not think that Sam Geese waxes? No way, look at the guy. He looks like a Yeti. I don't know. I mean, if the fur were confined to his chest, I might agree, but look at those two very specific tuffets of shin hair poking out of his boots. That does not just happen, Ralph. That is a choice. You're totally right, kid. He's baby smooth everywhere else. I rest my case. My mind is blown. <laughs>